0: Thanks Viv, great job reading, that was a, a long reading, 40 verses, we, if you were here on Good Friday this year, we actually had 7 people um, splitting up that reading and a bit of John chapter 19 as well and we had a, a dramatic reading um, of, of the passion narrative uh, with different characters and, and this is the passion narrative, this is the climax of John's Gospel, it's Easter weekend. We've made it to Easter. We started in John's Gospel about nine months ago now, and we've been um, journeying with Jesus um, and his life and his story um, through the, the gallery of, of paintings that John pictures, um, that John paints of his life, and now we're at the center of the story. And in this chapter, we see that Jesus walks to the cross that Jesus is going to the cross by choice, that he's moving towards death with initiative. And I want to, to, I want to today suggest that, that Jesus is the leader in this whole situation, that Jesus is the, the greatest leader who ever lived and he is the leader of his own crucifixion. Joshua Ryan Butler has this fantastic line, He says, the cross isn't happening to Jesus. Jesus is happening to the cross. And I want to call this talk, the boss of the cross. The boss of the cross. Jesus is the greatest leader that the world has ever seen. I used to buy my dad um, books for his birthday. His birthday would be on the 29th of December, still is, birthday doesn't change, but um, his birthday was on the 29th of December and so we'd go through um, Boxing Day sales and I'd go past Dimmicks when that was a thing before Amazon and I'd buy him books like this, 50 Leaders Who Changed History or some sort of you know $10 um, bargain box at, at Dimmicks. And while Winston Churchill and Nelson Mandela were good leaders, Jesus is the best. He's the boss. If you've got an NIV Bible, your subtitle will say at the top of this chapter, Jesus Arrested. And Jesus was arrested, but I believe that makes him sound it sound more passive than, than he is here. Like when we think of people being captured or taken captive, we often think of them running away. But Jesus is walking towards. On December 13, 2003, I don't know... What you were doing, but Saddam Hussein, the um, Iraqi dictator or ex-Iraqi dictator, was found in a hole in the ground near the city of Tikrit after a long search that was was labeled Operation Red Dawn. And on that night, I was I was a ten-year-old and I was at a birthday party, and I remember um, being drawn to the TV as it was sort of big news. This Saddam Hussein, and it was like Saddam Hussein's been found, and we we went to the TV and. I couldn't help but notice how bad he looked. Like he looked so disheveled from from former dictator to disheveled man hiding in a hole in the ground. Yet when Jesus was arrested, when Jesus was trialed, when Jesus was crucified, he wasn't found. He found them. Look with me at At the start of chapter 18, Jesus goes into the garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And then Judas, who had just betrayed him, comes to the garden guiding Jewish leaders, Roman soldiers. They've got torches, lanterns and weapons. And Jesus doesn't run or retaliate knowing exactly what was going to happen, Jesus goes out and meets them. He asks them, who is it you want? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am. I am he. You know, these days we make careful plans to avoid bumping into ex-boyfriends at all costs. Right? Let alone someone who's betrayed you. If you've been in a, a relationship of betrayal, you will avoid bumping into that person. And yet Judas and Jesus meet face to face. Imagine the anguish. A friend who's been with him for the, for the last 3 years and has betrayed him comes into the garden guiding Jewish leaders and Roman soldiers. But Jesus says, here I am. I am he. If you're looking for me, let these men go. He's putting himself in the way of danger, in the way of the cross, for the sake of his friend's freedom. Let them go. And so Jesus, initiating his own capture, floors the captors. It says they fall down in surprise. They fall to the ground. Right? If you're in this situation and the captors come and they fall to the ground... That gives you a great opportunity to flip the tables, right? Jesus is standing. They've fallen to the ground. And yet Jesus does not flee and does not fight back. Passionate Peter, he fights back. He draws a sword, it says. He chops a guy's ear off. Imagine having your right ear chopped off. It's like when your, your headphones stuff up and one, one ear's not working. But a lot worse than that as well, you know? And yet Jesus says to Peter, put your sword away, man. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus is calm and full of conviction. He, he takes charge of the whole situation in many ways, yet he's the one who leaves the garden bound. He's taken to Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest, the one who, if you remember um, back a few chapters, Caiaphas was the high priest who prophesied Accidentally, He was an accidental prophet. He said it would be good if one man died for the people. And one man did die for the people. He gave himself up for the people. Jesus saw all of this coming. If you remember John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. He has authority to lay his life down. He's the boss, he's Lord, but he's a sacrificial servant, suffering king. And the story moves on and and it, it swaps between the high priest's house where Jesus is being questioned and like the garden where Peter is being questioned. If this was a film, it'd be um, the scenes would be, it would be intercut. Peter questioned, Jesus questioned. Peter is in fact the one who, who will lead the church after Jesus. Peter is one of Jesus' closest three friends. And Peter cowers in the face of questions about his Lord and his best friend. They'd just laid eyes on Judas the traitor, and now Peter betrays Jesus too. Peter denies everything here where Jesus denies nothing. Peter denies being a disciple, the very essence of his new identity. It says it was cold. And so was Peter. Jesus, on the other hand, is confident though. The high priest, the religious leaders, they, they question him about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus is very clear. He says, I've spoken openly. I've always taught in the synagogues or at the temple in front of everyone. I said nothing in secret. Ask those who heard me. Peter heard him. But Peter was too afraid to say the truth. And Peter hears the rooster begin to crow. It says one of the high priest men slapped Jesus in the face. We don't really know why. Neither does Jesus. He said nothing wrong. He's only told the truth. But for some reason, the religious leaders want to kill him. They don't really give a reason here. I mean, it's hard in some ways to see if this trial is the work of human hands or or is God behind the scenes some way? Shall I not drink the cup my Father has given me? So the Jewish leaders, they hot potato Jesus around. Right? Look at verse 24 with me. Verse 24. Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest, And then we get a scene cut, right? Cuts to Peter. Cuts back to Jesus, verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. So they're hot-potatoing him around. Want to get rid of him. And they give him to Pontius Pilate. Now Pontius Pilate has to deal with Jesus. Pilate is the governor of Judea. So um, here's a map of the Roman Empire at its greatest extent and the, the dotted line is um, the expanse of the Roman Empire before, at um, the time of Jesus. So they, they got a bit bigger after. Britannia got included, where we get our encyclopedias from. But Judea, if you can see in this, the bottom corner here, is this little province, this little area where the Jewish people live. Jerusalem's the capital. And Pilate is the governor of Judea. He's the Roman representative. He's he's Caesar's representative in the same way the governor-general is the queen's representative for Australia. And so the, the governor has judicial power, has representative authority, and the Jews want to move Jesus Along, move him to the, hand him over to the Romans so they don't have to be the ones to kill him. You know, they're they're religious people, right? They don't want blood on their hands, not before God, not inside of God. So they palm him off to Pilate. But Pilate doesn't really want to handle things either. Where the Jewish leaders lacked clarity, Pilate lacks conviction. Look at verse 38 with me. The the bottom of it. He says, I find no basis for a charge against him, but beware of the but. Pilate lacks nerve. He's a people pleaser, not a great leader. He finds no charge, but There might be a loophole, there might be an excuse if the people really want. Pilate says to Jesus a little bit earlier, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus calls him on it and says, is that your idea or did people tell you that? Pilate says, I don't know, am I a Jew? They handed you over. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. This is verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. My kingdom is from another place. You see, all normal leaders in the world, all normal leaders seek to preserve their life, preserve their reign, preserve their kingdom. But Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. He's a different kind of king. He's a king who gives up his life and leads with sacrificial love. He goes on to say, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. That it's truth from beyond this world, transcendent truth. He's the way and the truth and the life. But Pilate says, what is truth? What is truth? The kingdom of God and the empire of Rome come face to face here. Who reigns? Who's the boss? In the end, Pilate defers to the crowd. Jesus is crucified. But Jesus was the true leader through this whole night. He's the boss of the cross. He's moving towards death because he lays down his life for the sheep. Now, I believe Jesus is the greatest leader who ever lived precisely because he died. He died for the sake of his people. It reminds me of a story from World War II. The Japanese forced um, prisoners of war to build a railway through the Thai jungle. It's called the Siam Burma Railway, but it's also known as Death Railway because more than 100,000 people died in its construction. And one prisoner who survived, Ernest Gordon, he tells this story. As conditions steadily worsened, As starvation, exhaustion and disease took an ever-growing toll, the atmosphere in which we lived was increasingly poisoned by selfishness, hatred and fear. We were slipping rapidly down the scale of degradation. We lived by the rule of the jungle, survival of the fittest. It was a case of, I look out for myself and to hell with everyone else. The weak were trampled underfoot, the sick ignored or resented, the dead forgotten. When a man lay dying, we had no word of mercy. When he cried for our help, we averted our heads. We had long since resigned ourselves to being derelicts. We were forsaken men, and now even God had left us. Hate for some was the only motivation for living. Then one day, a, a shovel changed everything. He goes on, at the end of each day, The tools were collected from the work party. On one occasion, a Japanese guard shouted that a shovel was missing and demanded to know which man had taken it. He began to rant and rave, working himself up into a paranoid fury and ordered whoever was guilty to step forward. No one moved. All die, all die, he shrieked, cocking and aiming his rifle at the prisoners. At that moment, one man stepped forward the guard clubbed him to death with his rifle while he stood silently to attention. When they returned to the camp, the tools were counted again and no shovel was missing. An innocent man had been willing to die for the sake of others. It turned out his life verse was John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus laid down his life for us. He took on death for us. He died like a lamb, but he wasn't an innocent bystander. He went to the cross like a lion. So the question is who killed Jesus? Was it uh, the Jewish people? Was it the Romans? Was it the sins of the world? Was it the judgment of God? Well, it all played a role. But the one leading Christ to the cross on that night was first and foremost Jesus himself. Jesus led the way to the cross. Jesus led with love. He's the greatest leader of all time. He's the goat. Human leaders fail though. Human leaders fail. I wonder what the worst boss you've ever had is. What's the worst boss you've had? It looks, it sounds like Kevin's had a bad boss. I had a bad boss when I was 18. I took on a job at Etihad Stadium as a kitchen hand and the chefs at Etihad Stadium made Gordon Ramsay look like my mum. You know, cooking with Ramsay would have been a joy compared to the the had Stadium chefs. I don't know if it was, they, they all wore Crocs. Is that a chef thing? It is? I reckon that made them angry, probably, a little bit. But, like, seriously, it was, it was crazy. But that's a part-time job. I could quit. I did quit after three shifts. Um, many people can't quit, though. Some of us have experienced years of leaders who abuse their power. Some of us have experienced parents who bail pastors who fail, leaders who lack nerve, bosses who betray, teachers who are inconsistent, politicians who lie. Leaders in our lives can be erratic and anxious. They can blame shift, blow up under pressure, be defensive, make excuses, be unkind, unstable, selfish or scared. Some leaders are too aggressive, others are too weak. Jesus was meek. A bruised reed he did not break. He was never violent, yet he is full of truth. He came to proclaim the message of the kingdom of God, a kingdom not from this world, a kingdom of sacrifice, suffering and service. He's a king who sacrifices, suffers, and serves, yet he's a king who stands up for justice and righteousness. Where human leaders fail, Jesus prevails. Where Pilate was shaky, Jesus was strong. Where the priest was confused, Jesus had conviction. Where Peter denied, Jesus died. He even died for Peter. Pilate's weakness, the Jewish leader's looseness, Peter's betrayal, they were all driven by fear, but Jesus led with love. Jesus is your true leader, your true king where all others fail. He stands up for truth, justice, and righteousness. He he lays down for mercy, redemption, and love. And so the question is, how can we be led by King Jesus? I think we've got to enjoy Jesus, experience his leadership, lay back in his love, find comfort in his arms of grace. Perhaps it feels like your life is defined by the opinions and expectations of your parents or your employer. Maybe all the leaders in your life have failed you and the only one left to trust is yourself. Self-leadership, you know, I'll be the boss. The thing is we've all failed. We've all fallen short. Human leadership, self-leadership, it'll all end up leaving you exhausted or anxious, burdened in some way. So trust Jesus. He lays his life down for you. You're fully free, fully forgiven, called beloved, called worthy, called child, because he is the boss of the cross. I want to finish with a, a thought experiment. I want you to think about who are the two or three most impactful or influential leaders on your life right now. Who are the two or three? most influential or impactful leaders on your life right now? Is it a parent, a professor, maybe a podcaster, a YouTuber, a boss or a manager, a teacher, a pastor, a writer, a celebrity, an uncle or an auntie, a coach or a friend or a mentor, someone who has legal power or authority over you, someone you listen to? Maybe they control your freedom or contribute to your formation. They might hold your future in their hands, it feels, or your heart in their hands. You crave their approval. They might inform your decisions and your ideas about the world. They might affect how you use your time and your money. Leaders can shape your sense of identity, your sense of self, and your sense of worth if you're loved. What the leaders who are in your life do and do not do will affect you immensely. But I want to invite you now. it, It takes bravery, but whoever those leaders are who shape you in the myriad of ways that leaders do, would you trust the greatest leader who ever lived above all others? Those two or three leaders, however they shape you, would you trust the leader who laid down his life even more? Because he's your true leader. He's the boss of the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. But boy, it's because you love us. Even saying we love you sometimes sounds pithy compared to what you've done for us. I pray that... I just want to put aside all sense of, of effort even of of trying to become like you, which is, is part of discipleship, of course, but would we just relax into your arms? Would we be comforted by your love? Would we just entrust our lives to you as leader now? Or would that just be the beginning of what you want to do in us? We look at every leader in our life, whether it's education, information, family, hobbies, work, study, politics. We see the impact they have on us, on our hearts, on our heads, on our hands, on our our, our money and our schedule and our sense of dignity. And we trust that you are the true king, the true leader, the true Lord above all else. Thank you for your love, King Jesus. Thank you. That you lay down your life for us. And this we pray in your holy name. Amen.